0: Welcome back to the conclusion of Pastor Tim's message from Ezra, chapter 9, verses 1 through 15, entitled, Crying Out for Revival. Brokenness is likely the most overlooked and most underrated ingredient in revival. Yet, revival doesn't come without brokenness. We are so resistant to the very thing that could set us free from our bondage. Here, Ezra, crying out for revival, then let's follow his example. Here's Pastor Tim.
1: So you return to the Almighty, and then secondly, repent of our atrocities. It's not just about returning, it's also about repenting. We have grown so accustomed to sin that even in church we're, we're no longer shocked by it. We become so desensitized that we live out exactly what Jeremiah prophesied. Twice in his book, Jeremiah asks and answers the same way, the same question. He says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. We don't even blush anymore. It's not embarrassing to talk about things that, that that used to we we wouldn't even talk about hardly in private. Now we talk about them openly and we see it openly. Not so with Ezra. He admits, right there in verse number seven, what we read, we have been very guilty. And look at what he says there in verse number six. Go back to verse six. Our iniquities have risen higher than our heads. He says, they have grown up to the heavens. In other words, our sins are piling up. It is a, it is a pile of mess before God. It's a mountain that I can't get rid of by myself. That only Jesus can. So, so what is it? That has turned out to be so wrong that Ezra would say our sins are just piling up before the Lord and has led to us being plundered and the sword and exile and all of those things. It's that intermarriage, isn't it? Now, our culture, I mentioned a while ago, culture and society, the world is not going to teach you right from wrong and good and bad. What's the world teach us? The world teaches us things like I can't help who I love. Love is love, right? You, you, you've just got to follow your heart. <laughs> no, no, not then and not today. It doesn't work that way. So, so you look at these passages and you say, okay, so they intermarried. So they married groups of people who came in to occupy the land while they were in exile. What's, what's really the big deal? Let me tell you what the big deal is. Jot these passages down. I'm going to read them to you, but they're long. You'll need to go back and look at them uh, directly yourself. Exodus chapter 34, verses 11 through 16. God told them specifically. He says, Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I'm driving out from before you the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Sound familiar? You've already read that in Ezra, right? He says, Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. This is not a racial corruption as somebody might say. It's not about that. It is moral corruption. When you go and you intermarry with these that do not have like faith, it is far more likely that you are going to be drawn away from the Lord than you're ever going to bring them to yourself. That's why we always warn young boys and young girls against, we used to call it missionary dating, You know, I mean, they're cute and all. They just don't love the Lord, but I can change them. Don't do that. That's exactly what he's talking about here. Write this one down. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. God says, you shall make no covenant with them or show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their sons, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Why can't you just say, I'm just going to follow my heart? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And you can't really know it. Be clear about this. God made it clear in His Word what His standard is concerning marriage for these folks. And by the way, that hasn't changed. His standards are not changing. So when the Holy Spirit brings that behavior and lays it side by side for Ezra with what God's Word is, That's why he's broken. That's why he states the shame that has now overcome him. It's the same pattern for us. Let's keep going. we still got a little ways to go. Short time to get there. Number three. Gaze upon the grace of God's goodness. That's what you should do. Gaze upon the grace of God's goodness. Were we crying out to a God who didn't care? Were we crying out to a God who is incapable? Were we crying out to a God who is malevolent? (laughs) Then These things we're talking about tonight don't even matter. We serve a God that is good, a God that is omnipotent, and a God who loves us. So it's important to be reminded of those things and go back and look at them, to gaze upon them, to go back into God's Word and read passages that remind you of who God is and of what He does. To go back into your own history and look at how good God has been to you through the years. As you cry out for revival, then you know that you're talking to a God who can and will deliver that to you. Let me give you these two things. Number one, be assured that he can revive us. So as you're looking in the scriptures, as you're rehearsing your own history, be assured that God can indeed revive you. And so Ezra reminds himself and the people and us who are kind of listening in that God is gracious. Listen to what he says, verse number eight. And now for a little while, Grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in His holy place, that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but He extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. He's been gracious. He's given us a measure of His grace even in the midst of our bondage. Four times in those two verses right there, He refers to us as a remnant, that there's a portion of God's people who will take to God's conviction, who will cry out to Him, who will seek to live in obedience with Him. And so I direct your attention to verse number 8, after he talks about the remnant left that will escape, when he says, God will give us a peg in His holy place. What does that mean? Well, they didn't have closets like you and I have, or areas for storage, so most of the houses simply had pegs or maybe we might say nails that are up in the top so that they could hang things on. And it was like, you know, like many of you have said, like my dad has said a whole bunch of times, there's a, there's a thing for every place and a place for everything. And everything's got its spot. What it means is, is that, 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 that that piece of furniture, that, that utensil, whatever it is, that's hung up on the peg has a place where it is safe, a place where it is secure, a place where it is ready to be used when the time comes. He says He's left us a peg in His holy place, a place where you can be safe, a place where you can be secure, a place where you are ready to be used, a place that is permanent like the wall that he mentions at the end of verse number 9. Why does he do that? He says to enlighten our eyes, to keep us in the truth, to bring about revival, even though we still live in the presence of that enslaving sin that he refers to as bondage. Number two, not only be assured that he can revive us, but number two, be assured that he can restore us. He can restore us. Look at these terrible words that you find in verse number 9. They all describe our current condition. Slaves. Bondage. Ruins. But notice what he wants to do through us. These are beautiful words. Revive. Repair. Rebuild. There's no doubt but that Ezra was right when he said God had never forsaken them. You can't think of a time either, can you? But you can think about times of His mercy. You can think about times of His grace. And even if you have wandered far, far, far away from the Lord, He can still return you to that place. Remember what they're returning from? What Zerubbabel brought them back from, what Ezra brought that group back from, what Nehemiah will bring that group back from? It's from Babylonian captivity for 70 years. They had been in bondage, and God brought them deliverance. So here we go, number 4. Recognize the range of our rebellion. Recognize the range of our Rebellion. Notice what he says beginning in verse number 10. He changes his tune just a little bit. He says, And now, and now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you have commanded by your servants the prophets, saying, The land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land with the uncleanness of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations, which they have filled it from one end to the other with their impurity. Now, therefore, do not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters to your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land, and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever. Talk about wandering far from him. There's a wide range of that, isn't there? So I need to recognize that I have moved far away from the Lord. You know, it's interesting that in verse number 10, he says, for we have forsaken your commandments. It's a play on words just from what he just said in verse number 9. He says, God, you have never forsaken us, and yet we have forsaken you. The word means to abandon, to leave desolate That's what we've done. God's never done that for us, but we have done that for Him. How? Two ways. Number one, we have forsaken His commands. That's exactly what He says in verse number 10, isn't it? We have forsaken, we have abandoned His commandments, thinking that we know better. It's like the dog who keeps digging out from under the fence so that he can get outside the parameters that you've set there for his safety. We do that. We try to get away from what God has given us to do. We've forsaken His commands, but number two, we have forsaken our cleanliness. He says, don't go in that place. It's an unclean land because of unclean peoples with unclean beliefs and unclean behaviors. It stands out in contrast to God's holiness. But yet we're reminded in these verses... That that uncleanness it gets on us, you know. Sean was just telling me earlier about putting out some. Uh, oh shoot, that bark, that red kind of mulch stuff. He said by the time he got through, his shirt was red, his shorts were red. He was probably red, you know. You know what didn't get off on the on the mulch? Sean's skin color, or the color of his shirt, or the color of his shorts. It didn't stain that mulch, but that mulch stained him. You cannot dabble in sin and think that you're going to come away not being stained. So recognize the range of that rebellion, that impurity, the abominations that are there, and take those things back to the Lord. There's one last thing. As we're crying out for revival, we need to do all four of these things. And now, number five, motion for more of God's mercy. Motion for more of God's mercy. We get to the end of this, beginning in verse number 13, we're getting into his request, finally. We're getting into what he is petitioning God for, what he is, we would say, making a motion about. What is it? That he would extend his mercy still farther. Let's read it. Verse number 13. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve and have given us such deliverance as this, should we again break your commandments? And join in marriage with the people of these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you had consumed us? So that there would be no remnant or survivor? O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous. For we are left as a remnant. And it is as it is this day, here we are before you in our guilt... Though no one can stand before you because of this. God's been merciful to him. What he's asking is God be merciful to us now. But he's asking, he brings up a great question. If I have been redeemed from those sins, if I've been delivered, why would I go back to that? Why, Why would I tempt God to just erase me off the planet? By continuing to disobey what his spirit has already convicted me that is wrong. So what am I to do? Number one, to recognize that he has been merciful to us in the past. That's what, that's what Ezra's reminding God of. He's, he's inviting those that are listening to him. He's inviting us to, to be reminded that God has dealt graciously and mercifully in our past. I mean, even in the 70-year exile, it's still exactly what what Ezra talks about. You have punished us less than what our iniquities deserve. Can anybody testify to that? God has been far more merciful to me than I deserve. He has never given me what I deserve. Instead, in mercy and grace, He continues to offer me deliverance. Verse number 14, Ezra says that God has a right to be so utterly angry with us that we are thoroughly consumed and not here anymore. So I need to recognize, if I have breath in my lungs, that God has been good to me. So if I'm remembering that He's been merciful to me in the past... What I'm asking him, we need to ask Him to be merciful to us in the present. Right now. if God has convicted me of my sin, and in my response, I am in humility, repenting to Him and trying to live in obedience to Him. I'm asking Him to be merciful to me now, even when he says, here we are before you in our guilt though no one can even stand before you because of this and yet you invite us you invite us to into your presence you invite us in our ragged and dirty ways to simply throw ourselves on the mercy of the court so to speak you know what Ezra did not do you know what else you didn't read we said that you wouldn't see him talk about the they's and the them's You know what else he doesn't do? He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't say that God is unfair. Instead, he says, God, you are righteous. He never rationalizes why the people have done what they've done. He doesn't complain that the punishment is too great. He simply asks God for mercy if you would but stop trying to negotiate with God, He's got far better things in store for you than what you can imagine. If you'll just come clean, let me say it that way, if I would just come clean before God, He'll do in me what I could never do in myself. And He might revive me, and the people that are all around me. Let's pray. This message resonates with me. Maybe it does with you. In fact, maybe there's something specific. That God just, I mean, in the midst of the service, in the midst of His work. I mean, it's exactly what we're talking about. Maybe the Spirit of God took this portion of the Word of God has brought conviction to your heart. What do you do? You go to Him. Right? That's where I want to help you. If I can help you with that, I want to. Truth of the matter is is that you don't need me. He invites you to come into His presence. And you can confess. and You can receive forgiveness. And you can be restored. And you can be revived. I simply call you to the altar. Lord, this is your moment. Revive your people. We desperately need your hand of work. Except you do it. We'll never be able to manufacture it. Revive us, O Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you want to...
0: This year at Brit David, we would like to challenge you to join us in reading through the Bible in a year. This is a great and rewarding way to start your day. If you would like a copy of the reading plan, you can request a copy at church office at churchofficeatbrittdavid.org. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at Britdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.